0: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If there is any verse in the Bible that needs no introduction, it's John 3.16. Not just because John 3.16 is so good, but also because everybody knows John 3.16. Probably heard it once or twice. We see John 3.16, it's on billboards. It's on bumper stickers. Maybe you got it tattooed on you. I won't ask. It's on t shirts, it's on posters. Now, not a lot of people have memorized any part of the Bible, but if they have memorized a part of the Bible, my money's on John 3.16. There is no verse more familiar than John 3.16. And they say familiarity breeds contempt. If there is any verse in the Bible that proves that saying, it's John 3.16. I know a pastor who met a man, and he saw a John 3.16 sign at a football game. Somebody's holding it up. And he turns to his friend, he's going to make fun of the guy. And his friend's very winsome, very patient, very kind. He's like, well, have you ever read John 3.16? Do you know what it means? And so the guy took the challenge. He went home that night after the football game, and he read John 3.16, and he kept reading, and he believed in Jesus. (laughs) And 30 years later, he still believes. Maybe not mock something just because it's familiar. And may a story like that offer us an invitation this morning for all of us, just for the next 40 minutes or so. Let's drop our familiarity. Let's drop it. Let's come to John three sixteen fresh. I've heard an, al- an analogy that's really helpful. So this, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. And I think he landed in the Bahamas somewhere, um, which is a great place to land if you're going to pick one. Um, but could you imagine if Chris Columbus and the other explorers after, the, after him never went beyond the Bahamas? Imagine all they would have missed out on. The Everglades, the mighty Mississippi River, the Great Plains, the Rocky Mountains, the Grand Canyon. Imagine if they just stayed in the Bahamas. Brother and sister, my, my fellow Christian, we've landed in a new world. But we should not think that we've discovered all there is to discover. No way. So we're in John 3.16. I I want us to let this familiar, beautiful verse invite us to travel more, to see more of God's beauty, to see more of God's heart, and God's grandeur, and God's love. All right, John 3.16. I'm going to read through verse 21. If you haven't turned there, I invite you to turn there and read along with me. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. We left off John chapter 3 in the middle of a conversation. It's between Jesus and a timidly respectful Pharisee named Nicodemus. And like with anybody, Jesus sees right through Nicodemus. In their conversation, we see that Jesus corrects Nicodemus' assumptions. We remember who the Pharisees are. Nicodemus comes from this group who scoffed at the idea that they needed to be cleansed. But Jesus is in line with the rest of the Bible and he tells Nicodemus if anybody is to enter God's presence he must be washed and made new. As Jesus puts it, he must be born again. And Jesus says that this comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not all that Jesus tells Nicodemus. Jesus tells Nicodemus more heavenly things as he puts it. And Jesus says that he knows what he's talking about because he himself came from heaven. So he tells Nicodemus more about the new life that the Spirit gives. And he says we have new life only because of Jesus' death. Jesus says that he will be lifted up on a pole just like the serpent was in the wilderness for the Israelites back in the book of Numbers. Jesus says essentially he will bear the judgment just like that serpent so that we don't have to. Jesus says, he will get death so that all who believe in him will get life. Now, we could leave the discussion here because this is a great news. But if we left it here, we might walk away with some misunderstandings. And so, here are verses 16 to 21. Verses 16 to 21, John 3, expand Jesus' explanation to Nicodemus earlier from John 3. And here in these verses, 16 to 21, Jesus clarifies, I think, at least four possible misunderstandings about how someone enters the kingdom of God and inherits eternal life. Four potential misunderstandings. The first one is that this is for anyone. This is for anyone. Now, if you compare verses 14 and 15 to verse 16, you might notice some similarities very similar in their content. And when we look at verse 16, just standing on its own, I like to think of it as a beautiful chord. You know, a chord together, the notes sound wonderful. They sound beautiful. They blend together. But every chord has a bass or root note. So there's the G chord, there's the C chord, there's the D chord. If verse 16 has a root note, I would argue it's the scope of the son's work. Who is Jesus' work for? I think that's the root note of verse 16. Now, there are other notes in the chord, but the main truth that this verse clarifies is who is this for? And again, I know, Jesus has already said in verse 15, whoever believes. But if he left it just there, Jewish readers like Nicodemus might walk away thinking, whoever Israelites believes. So Jesus addresses this potential misunderstanding. He says, God loves the world. Now, just as a side note, it's difficult to tell whether Jesus or John, the author, talks in verse 16 to 21. I I hate to tell you, but there are no quotation marks, no paragraph breaks, not even red letters in the original Greek text. None of those things. But whether it's Jesus or John does not affect the meaning of these verses. And neither, this is really important, neither does it affect the authority of these verses. Because I don't know if you've heard people say this, or some people who believe this, but some people are like, I only listen to the words of Jesus from the Bible. I only like the red letters in the Bible. Maybe this is well-intentioned, but the first thing to say to that is, you know that's not how Jesus read the Bible, don't you? You know that Jesus says that all of the Bible comes from God, and all of the Bible points to him. Red letters, black letters, it doesn't matter. Authoritative, all the same. So, verse 16. Let's say Nicodemus and others like him walk away from verse 15 thinking any Israelite who believes will be just fine. Not only would they misunderstand what Jesus is saying, they would also misunderstand how God has revealed his plan and how God has revealed his heart in all of the Bible. Let me prove it to you. How God has revealed his plan for the world in all of the Bible. We can go back all the way to the very beginning. Genesis 1 verse 28. We might miss this detail if we're not paying attention. Did you know that God never intended for Adam and Eve to stay in the Garden of Eden? That God's intention for people was to spread his glory throughout all of the earth. To expand Eden throughout all of the earth. Genesis 1.28 Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God wants to fill the earth with his glory by filling the earth with people who bear his image. Now let me ask you something. Did that work with Adam and Eve? No. Good answer. Yes, that's right. The reverse happened, actually. It got so bad that what did God do? Eventually, he flooded the earth. The days of Noah. And this wasn't only judgment. This was like a reset. It's like God gave the earth a new birth. But let me ask you, did it work? No, you're right again, it did not work. Noah's sin, just like Adam's sin, spread to all of his descendants. And so, later on in Genesis, Genesis 12, God calls an idol worshiper to the land of Canaan. His name is Abram. God promises Abram land, descendants, and blessing. And the result of God's blessing of Abraham, he tells him, is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in his offspring. All the nations of the earth. And this brings us to Israel. God's promises are fulfilling. Abraham's descendants are multiplied. And God makes a covenant with this nation. And God tells this nation, when you keep this covenant, all the nations around you are going to see what I'm like. All the nations around you will have a light that points them back to me. Now let me ask you, did that work? No, it didn't. And that brings us to David, King David. Maybe, just maybe, if Israel got a king, maybe that king will get Israel to fulfill her mission to all the nations around her. Did that work? No, it didn't. And yet, God's promises stand. A new Adam would fill the earth with his spiritual descendants. The world would be truly reborn. The nations will be blessed. God's people will be a light to the world. God's king will lead God's people. God sends his son to fulfill all of these promises, to fulfill his plan that's always been in place, to succeed where his people have failed. And this plan benefits not just Israel. It benefits all the nations of the earth. That's why Psalm 67 says, let the nations be glad. And sing for joy. God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes, this is for anyone. And this has always been God's plan. But I want to show you something else. This has always been God's heart. It's always been God's heart. Verse 16 corrects our thinking. Because I think a lot of us even subtly think something like this. You know, only Jesus loves everybody. Until Jesus came along, we had to deal with his grumpy, old, curmudgeon dad who's trigger-happy. But verse 16, the father and the son are not at odds with one another. Notice, it's God the Father who loves the world. It's his initiative that sets this plan in place. He gave his son. Friends, it, it, This if we believe this misunderstanding about God's heart, it's because you and me have always believed at least two lies. At least two lies. The first lie is that life is better on our own terms. You and me, you and I believe that. We believe that life is better outside of God's loving, life-giving restraints and rule. We believe that life is better on our own terms. But when we discover that's a lie, then we believe a second lie we believe that once i've gone outside of god's restraints and god's rule that there's no way he'll take me back those are the two lies we believe and the whole bible including john 3:16 tells us those aren't true those are lies this is god's heart and it's even in the old testament why God says in a place like Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. We think that often re- reflects God's providence and plan. It actually reflects his heart of love. Isaiah 55, the context is he's, God's talking to wicked people. And so the statement my ways are not your ways comes in the middle of an invitation. It comes when God invites wicked people to return to him. And he tells them I will abundantly pardon not halfway pardon, not just accept them, but as Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, God sweeps them up in his arms again. This is God's heart. His ways are not our ways. Our love and forgiveness is halfway and timid. We have limits on who we would take back. God does not. This is for anyone. John 3.16 says, this is for, for people who are from any nation. This is for people who have any sin. This is for anyone. Don Carson reflects on this verse. He says, God's love for the world is amazing. And it's amazing not just for how big the world is, but because of how bad the world is. That God would even dare communicate with us at all is nearly unbelievable. Each one of us has turned our backs to him. But it's not just that God would pursue people who walked away from him. It's that there is no greater gift he could give these people. Literally no greater gift. And we could translate verse 16 differently. We could translate it like this. It could say, this is how God loved the world that he gave his only son. His only son who has always existed in loving joy, perfect communion at his side. He gave up his glorious son to bring back his wicked sons. One commentator puts it like this, there is nothing we needed more. There is no more valuable gift that God could have given. There is no greater length that God could have went. There is no greater love that God could have displayed. Verse 16 clarifies for you and me, this is for anyone And if verse 16 means that, then guess what it means? This is for you. This is for you. This is for you, the destructive alcoholic. This is for you. This is for you, the one who's aborted their unborn child. This is for you. This is for you the sexually immoral. This is for you, the hypocrite. God loves you. God gave his son even for people like you and me. Because if Jesus didn't die for bad people, then he would have had no one to die for. John 3.16 is for you, the sufferer. John 3.16 is for the abused, for the empty, for the jobless, for the worn out, for the depressed. John 3.16 is for the suicidal. God loves you. And my friend, John 3.16 tells you, if Jesus has you, then you are truly and finally safe. I don't pretend to, think, to say that makes life's problems easy, but I will say that John 3.16 tells you God suffers with you, and God suffers for you. John 3.16 tells you you do not have to wait to heaven to know God's heart. Let John 3.16 Lift you to the logic of Romans 8 verse 32. I love this verse. It says, he, do, "He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If you ever doubt God loves you, He gave his son for you. What greater gift could he give? John 3:16 is for anyone. Guess what? John 3:16 is for the Christian. John three sixteen is for the believer in Jesus, the one who has denied yourself, taken up your cross, and followed Christ. John three sixteen is for you. God loves you. I don't know if you've forgotten that. And notice that this verse does not say you will have eternal life. The more precise way to have to say it is you have eternal life. It's not in the future tense. You can enjoy the life you have in Jesus now, the life that you will enjoy in full later. John 3.16 is for anyone. And it's so hard to leave verse 16, but if we must, we'll keep going. Because we need further clarification. Because Nicodemus and other people like him, they expected certain things of the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to come and immediately wipe out all of their enemies. And Nicodemus and so many others like him don't understand. If Jesus did that, then that means Jesus would wipe out everybody. Not just the people that they don't like. And so, verse 17 clarifies, I came first to save. I came first to save. For for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Does this mean that there is no condemnation whatsoever? No, we'll read the next verse. But this does mean that if God did not send his son, there would only be condemnation. There would be no salvation. And friends, we need this clarification. And it reminds me of the time when, Je- when people asked Jesus to explain certain tragedies that were going on. If you want to look there with me, you can turn to Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. Luke's the book right before John. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. And there it says... There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What do you think the people assumed? Assumed about the folks who Pilate had killed? Assumed about the folks that the tower in Siloam fell on them? What do you think they assumed about the, these group of sufferers? I think Jesus sees through them. He knows that they assumed, all oh, these people must have had a coming to them. This awful thing happened to them because, oh, they must have done something awful. And how does Jesus respond? No. That's not the case. He's not necessarily. If you don't believe that, read John chapter 9, The Man Born Blind. Read all of Job. Suffering doesn't always result from our sin. And if you think about our own lives, from a negative side, You and I haven't borne all the consequences for our stupid choices. Let's be honest. We should be in way worse situations than we actually are in. Shouldn't we? We don't bear all the consequences of our sin. No. Suffering isn't always a good indication. And at the same time, Jesus says something else. He tells them, repent, or you will likewise perish. In other words, guys, you think they had it coming? Well, you don't think you have it coming too? You must repent also. Guys, don't let your relatively trouble-free life lead you to trust in yourself. Trust in me. Jesus came first to save. That corrects our self-centered craving for judgment. Then, when we say we want Jesus to wipe out the world's problems, but we don't realize that means he would wipe out us too. We've created plenty of problems ourselves. So Jesus must come to save. And if that's the purpose of his first arrival, then that implies truths that we might take for granted. So hear me out. If Jesus came to save, then that must mean he came to save us from something. Isn't that logical? He came to save us from something. I mean, take verse 16. The logic is that without the son, we would perish. Without God giving his son, we would not have eternal life. We would have eternal death. Verse 17. Without the son, we would be the opposite of saved. We would be condemned. Those are the two outcomes. Saved or condemned. I don't see a third in this passage. And I've, so I've, I've said this before. If it, Jesus saves us from something. Brothers and sisters, can we be a little more precise than saying, I got saved? Can we be a little more precise? I'm not a stickler for passive voice, but that's a time you shouldn't use passive voice. You should say, God saved me, not I got saved. And God saved me from something. God save me from the condemnation my sin deserves. And you can even get more precise than that if you wanted to. But if Jesus has come to save, it means he's come to save us from something. And maybe you listen to that and you say, really, like that kind of sounds like the fire and brimstone stuff that a lot of people don't like. It sounds a little dated, maybe even a little harsh. Well, my friend, if you don't believe that's what Jesus saves us from, then just look to the cross. Look to the cross. Is there any greater evidence that hell is real than the cross of Jesus Christ? That God's Son Himself had to go through that to rescue us. I mean, if we really weren't heading to hell, then why did Je- then Jesus died for nothing? He wouldn't have had anything to save us from. Jesus came to save. Behind that, that is the truth, that He came to save us from condemnation, and implies another truth as well. Jesus came to save us from condemnation by being condemned himself, by being condemned himself. Uh, people, other, another person has said this before me, I just don't know who says that there's really only one person ever who got what he did not deserve, and he volunteered. To put it in the language of Luke 13, Jesus had the tower of God's judgment fall on him so that it wouldn't fall on us. He came to save. But we have to clarify something else still. We said this is for anybody that Jesus came to save. If he didn't come to save, we would all still be condemned. But verse 18, it clarifies something else. People must believe. People must believe. Now, you might hear people say, again, something like this, um, that there are, there are many paths that lead to God. There are many legitimate ways to lead to God. Just be sincere, and, and you'll get there. And you know what? I think they're actually right. All roads do lead to God. Not all roads lead to peace with God. Oh, all roads lead to God. Not all roads lead to peace with God. Verse 16 emphasizes, this is good news for anyone. And verse verse 18 emphasizes, this is not good news for everyone. It's good news only for those who believe in the Son of God. And belief is an action that has nothing to do with our own accomplishment. It is about trusting and receiving Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished for us. You might got to squint at it, but verse 18 does not say whoever does good works and loves like Jesus is not condemned. I don't know what translation you're looking at if it says that. As, As good as those things are, they are not what saves us. Jesus saves us. Holiness and loves are simply proof that Jesus has saved us already. People must believe. We believe that salvation comes by Christ alone, by grace alone, not of our own efforts, through faith alone. Faith alone. And I really want us to understand what we're saying because I think we know these truths, but I want us to understand what we're really saying. I want you to think of Judas Iscariot. Think of Judas Iscariot. It's not very pleasant to think of Judas Iscariot. And I, we're not told this, but I bet Jesus, I bet Jesus called Judas Iscariot personally, like he did with the rest of the disciples. You know, like uh, Andrew and, and Peter and James and John. They were fishing, and Jesus comes to them and calls them personally. I bet he did that for Judas. We read the Gospel accounts, you know, I bet Judas ate the same fish and bread that the some twenty thousand other people ate. I bet Judas ate that. I bet Judas was there and saw Jesus walk on water. I bet Judas went out with the other disciples when Jesus sent them out, and Judas himself cast out demons. It's unbelievable. I bet Judas was there and and saw Jesus raise Lazarus, a dead man, for four days, raise Lazarus from the dead. I bet Judas was there. And I bet Judas got his feet washed by Jesus. And Judas betrayed that man. He sold him off for the price of a slave. but is that why Judas went to hell? Is it? After Jesus was crucified, Judas could have thought differently. He could have felt the weight of his sin, and then he could have realized the precious blood of Jesus can pay for even the grossest, most vile sin like mine. That is how precious the blood of the Son of God is. One pastor puts it like this. To betray Jesus, no doubt, was an act of enormous covetousness, wickedness, and ingratitude. But not to seek Jesus afterwards by faith for a pardon was to disbelieve Jesus' mercy, love, and power to save. So let me simplify it for us. Not believing in Jesus is the only unpardonable sin. That's it. It is to refuse the only remedy for your soul. It is to shut the only door to heaven. So turn from trusting in yourself, from going your own way, and take hold of Jesus, and Jesus alone, and be free. Now before we move on to the last clarification, I want to make sure you see this. From verse 18, believer, look look there again believer in Jesus, you who have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ alone, do you see what verse 18 says about you? It says about you. It says that you are not condemned. You are not condemned. And you are loved. I don't know. Another not pleasant thing to think about. What stresses you out the most right now? What causes you the most heartache? What is the thing that your mind runs to when you have a, a moment to spare? Whatever that is, whether it's a demanding job, maybe demanding kids, maybe grief, whatever it is. I don't know. I can't say what God is up to in your life through that thing. I can't say with any kind of certainty. It, it could be that perhaps that God is calling you back to him. It could be perhaps that God is drawing you closer to him. It could be perhaps that this is natural consequences of your decisions. It could be perhaps God is testing you for your growth. Maybe a combination of all those things. But believer, but believer in Jesus, I know what it is not, whatever that thing is. It is not condemnation. It is not that. Romans 8, one. there is therefore now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Be assured of that. So let's review. God sent his son to save from condemnation all who will believe in him. Now at this point, maybe Nicodemus and those like him respond and say, ah, you know what? I, I, just don't, I just don't know. I mean, it makes sense. I get it in my head. I'm just not quite there. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. And they might say, well, maybe if I had more evidence, maybe if I had more of my questions answered, then, then I might get there. Well, the classic retort to that is, hey, friend, if, if you had all of your questions answered, would you believe? And if you're honest, that the answer is probably no, then it's got to be something else. It's got to be more than just head knowledge stuff. And Jesus gives an insightful clarification to close out this passage, verses 19 to 21. He says, people don't believe not because they lack evidence, not because they need more answers to their questions. He says, people don't believe because they love their sin too much. People don't believe because they love their way of life more than they love Jesus. It's a heart thing, not so much a head thing. I don't know if this has happened to you. Uh, have you ever had curtains that are too small for your windows? Yeah, I, I used to too. So uh, how, if it's just not, just not quite big enough, and then what happens is there's just this slice of light that comes into your room, and if, if this has happened to you, it, for me, it's just, that light always finds a way to just beam me in the face as I'm trying to fall asleep curtains are too small. In college I resorted to taping down my curtains because they were too small. And the small example reflects the hearts behind verse 19. The light has appeared, but people love the darkness rather than the light. It's like when you're trying to go to sleep. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be disturbed. I want to be comfortable. I want to close out the light. And so let's think about how this might relate to your interaction with Jesus. It might be something like, hey, I'll be nice when you talk about Jesus. I'll I'll be cordial. But I'm going to live my own life. Hey, maybe, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll show up to church when I feel like it. I'll show up when I got nothing else going on. But y'all, I mean, I think the small curtains are like the quintessential middle class problem. But speaking of middle class, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, and a lot of people like you and me, are basically we want our middle class life, we want our middle class house, middle class vacation, middle class conveniences, our middle class entertainment, our middle class re- retirement. Now, don't hear me saying that any of those things are, are bad on their own. I like those things. But is that it? Is, is, that, is that all God made us for? Is this the agenda that we were made to rigorously pursue and protect? Is that it? Or does Jesus have limits on the areas of your life that he can touch? And it may be friends that you love that more than you love him. When something get, what, what happens when something gets messed with and you get upset, frustrated, angered? That reveals what you love the most. And so here, verses 19 to 21 tell us that even the nicest, even the most moral people, if they don't believe in Jesus, one day they will be exposed. That includes every person in this room. One day they will be exposed for living their own way. Even the nicest, most moral people, if they don't believe in Jesus, they will be exposed for being their own Lord, for being their own Savior. And listen, you can cloak that in performative goodness as much as you want, but you won't be able to hide the heart behind it. Matthew seven twenty two to 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, Do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are good people, Jesus says this to. Good people who are their own lords and their own saviors. And my friends, I'm glad we don't get to end on this note. I'm glad we get to end on verse 21. Because there is a better way. There's a better way. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This tells us that if you do what is true, then something must have happened to you. The end of the verse implies it. If you do what is true, God must have worked on you. The Spirit must have made you new, opened your eyes, caused you to take hold of Christ. now Jesus' victory Jesus' resurrection life now runs through you if you do what is true and come to God if you do what is true then that must mean a greater love has supplanted your love for darkness it must mean that you have realized that the sin that you live for would never die for you that you would have to die for it but now you realize that the one you used to hate, the one you used to reject, loved you enough to die for you, and now you live for him. Verse 21 tells us that real transformation happens not just when we remove sin and try harder. If you pull out our weed, it'll just grow back. Verse 21 tells us that real transformation happens when sin is removed and replaced with a greater love you plant new life where sin once grew. Verse 21, this better way. And it's scary because the better way begins with exposure. It begins with the light shining on our darkness. That Jesus had to live and die in our place reveals our desperate need. That Jesus had to live and die in our place reveals how bad we must be. But my friend, this better way begins with exposure. And it is better to be exposed now than to be exposed later. It is better to see the truth now than to discover it later. Because our highest goal cannot be to preserve our own reputation. Our highest goal cannot be to preserve our own comfort. If that's your highest goal, you'll lose it. Our highest goal has to be to come to Christ. And that means bringing our sin to Jesus. And if our reputation takes a hit, so be it. Better to be healed than to be a hypocrite. If our comfort takes a hit, so be it. Better to be an uncomfortable follower of Jesus than to be a comfortable sinner heading to hell. So that brings us to the main point. I didn't say it at the beginning. I I saved it for the end. The main point of the whole passage is to leave behind your way of darkness, living your own way. See the God who loves you. Believe in the Son given for you and walk in the light. Now is the time. No more staying in the dark. No more taping down the curtains. Come to the light. Stay in the light. Now, Now for some, for some, That's going to take being honest. I think for everybody, it's going to take being honest. That maybe for some, you have never done that. At least not truly. Today is the day. For others, it'll take being honest too. It'll take saying, I've done this, but I am not currently walking in the light. Today is the day to get help. And to bring your darkness to Christ. For others, it's going to take being honest, too. It's to say, I have done this, but I am not walking in the light with other people. My friends, we strive to be meaningful members of this church because we know we can't do this alone. We need each other to walk in the light of Christ together because we know together that our own way has not gotten us anywhere, that we need help and others need our help. We all need Christ's help. Have you fit in any of those categories? That you have not truly given your life to Christ, walk in the light. If you have, are not currently walking in the light and have something you need to bring, if you are not walking in the light with other people, if, if, if that fits you, today is the day. Today and we got lunch going on. The, the food can wait for a few minutes. Food can wait. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. <laughs> I'll even wait to eat. And I bet our, our pastors, Bill and Randall, will wait to eat. And we can be up here. And that stands for every week. I love how nice we can be to each other. I love the smiles that are here. But let's be, let, let's be real where we need to be, okay? So we we come to the light, we stay in the light. So come talk to one of the pastors here who just humbly try to do our best with that and point others to Jesus, all right? Let's pray to him. Lord, it is tough to know where to begin in thanking you that there is no greater gift that could be given to no worse of people we have not begun to understand your love for us. It, we, won't, we won't exhaust it for all of eternity. Lord, would you shine the light in our dark hearts and show us the truth.